Welcome back to this week's episode of the 501 Hustle, where we interview mission-driven Gen Z hustlers who are designing groundbreaking solutions, forging new paths, and redefining our future. This week, we met with Chinmai, founder and CEO of Simply Neuroscience. Chinmai started this organization by herself as a personal blog. But over the past year and a half, Simply Neuroscience has grown into a team of over 300 volunteers running 25 initiatives and a community of over 50,000 Gen Zers spanning more than 120 countries. Simply Neuroscience is now an international student-led organization that focuses on neuroscience and psychology education, outreach, and awareness. And as you'll notice in today's episode, Chinmai is a fantastic speaker, but it doesn't come as a surprise as she's a three-time TEDx speaker and has had over 165 engagements with high schools, conferences, hackathons, and universities around the world. So with that, thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of the 501 Hustle. I am your host Vivek, and I hope you enjoy our conversation today about pursuing the brain and unlocking the future one neuron at a time. So the podcast, for instance, was an idea that a student brought in completely by himself and pitched in the first week was like, let's make this happen. So that was December 2019. And here we are like 40, 50 or so episodes later, multiple podcast mini series and things like that. The framework was there for expansion and growth, but the main driver was just so many people brought their ideas to the table and it is a true community impact. Like I, there's 25 different initiatives we focus on now. I definitely do not have in mind that many starting out. That was all the students along the way, too. Hey, Chinmai, how are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat. Chinmai is a third-year undergraduate student pursuing neuroscience and medical humanities at Columbia University. She's an experienced student researcher with a background in traumatic brain injury, neurodegeneration, and biomedical studies. My interest in studying brain injury stems from my work on campus with an organization called Synapse that does community advocacy efforts within New York City. And I'm greatly interested in understanding lived experiences of individuals who've suffered brain injuries and understanding how physicians can help bridge a divide. She was previously named the California Science and Engineering Fair Student of the Year and a USA National Brain Bee finalist and has received the Daily Point of Light Award, Presidential Volunteer Service Award, and Multiplying Good One in a Million Award for her community service efforts. Chinmai is the founder and CEO of a global nonprofit organization called Simply Neuroscience, which works to expand student involvement in neuroscience and psychology through interdisciplinary education, outreach, and awareness. In just over two years, Simply Neuroscience Impact has grown to positively reach over 50,000 students from 119 countries. Since our founding, we have been able to grow to positively impact about 50,000 students from across the states and over 119 countries, connecting them with all of our resources. In her free time, Chinmai enjoys hosting STEM outreach workshops for young students, practicing Taekwondo, gardening, exploring nature trails, and watching Telugu movies with her family.
You are the founder of Simply Neuroscience, an international student-run, fiscally-sponsored nonprofit organization dedicated to fostering students' interdisciplinary interests in the brain. So can you tell us more about your organization and its mission? We really try to focus on connecting young students with resources, events, opportunities, mentorship, and more related to neuroscience, and doing that especially earlier on in their educational journey. Students already have an interest, and we really want to connect them with the support earlier on so that they don't have to wait until later in their undergrad or graduate studies to pursue an interest that they already have. Early on, meaning high school or like middle school? High school, middle school are, I would say, 13 years old is about the youngest students we have. The interest level is honestly becoming even younger to elementary school wow. students even. What type of resources are you giving them? I know you have a podcast. I know you have community events, blogs, your social media. I would say our overall approach is that we really don't want to be force feeding students that you need to read XYZ research papers or consume these textbooks. So giving students a much more flexible, approachable means of studying about the brain. And the podcast does interviews with professionals who are really down to earth. So just trying to emphasize for students that this is how the community looks like beyond just the very professional academic setting and connecting with resources that are really relevant and that apply to everyday life, like learning about TikTok and the neuroscience behind that, that students can feel a lot more personable with, that it's meant for them. You're essentially making education around neuroscience, like fun and engaging and relevant to to today. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really trying to make it more relevant for 13, you know, 20 year olds, et cetera. Not just like one size fits all, but like you can chart your own path with whatever route you want to go in whatever format you want. What's the end goal when you're helping these students out? How do you measure impact? It's a great question because we are pretty much an open access format organization, which means that sometimes We see our students come up at different events pretty regularly. We see them connected with mentors through the mentorship program, listening to the podcast, interacting on social media. But it is definitely difficult to say, here's where our students are in five years, because it is a very open community. We don't really have that sort of membership tiers, or you have to register yourself to commit to this organization. But Our overall impact that we really envision is we want to see students interacting with us through those various means because it tells us that, you know, they're accessing the full range of content that we have to offer. In your mission, you you emphasize this whole idea of interdisciplinary. When I think of the brain, I'm thinking maybe neuro, cognero, uh, a little bit of psych. What other other fields are you bringing together to build this interdisciplinary approach? A whole bunch. Um, Economics, technology, visual art, social sciences. We had a lecture topic on the history of neuroscience recently. So really trying to, yeah, really trying to emphasize the neuroscience beyond the science, I would say. You're figuring out ways to connect it to like humanities. Exactly. Yeah. How did you develop that curriculum? Like, is that, is, is that bridge between the gap of like STEM and humanities, or at least with the brain, was that always there? Or was that something you had to figure out how to create? I would say there are communities out there as an, on the professional level. So there's, you know, folks with PhDs out there, professors who work on this in such niche areas, but it doesn't trickle down to the student level as much. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes it's coming across really cool news articles and going down a rabbit hole and then thinking this would be really cool to present back to the students in the Simply Neuroscience community. So that's kind of how we, there's a lot of chance encounters sometimes, like we'll realize there's this really neat neurophilosopher out there and let's connect with them. What is a neurophilosopher? 
oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't think I could do justice explaining. <laughs> Some folks are thinking about like consciousness and how that traces back, you know, the past few centuries. There's like some intersections with ethics, like having existential crises about the brain and who we are and trying to explain those basically is how I like to think of it. So you're bringing some incredible speakers in and stuff to, to the youth. That's so cool is because I took my first psychology class in high school, but I took my first like real neuro class until college. And I loved it so much. It was actually the like only textbook in my entire life I've read cover to cover. And, and I was an econ major. Like I did nothing with STEM. <laughs> I can't do numbers in, in math and science, all that stuff. But I absolutely love that class. And I think, I mean, well, I know, honestly, if I'd been introduced to it earlier, I probably would have taken more classes in it. I mean, that's why I took that consciousness class, but I definitely could have done more in neuroscience. So I think that it's incredible that you're giving the youth the ability to see that neuroscience isn't really just studying the brain and neurons. There's so much more to it. Right. I mean, it's truly one of those fields that has everyday applications. And I don't just say that as a cliche, but it's like from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to sleep, there's something you can connect with. We mentioned 50K students reach that you guys have impacted from around the world, over 119 countries, and you have 300 volunteer staff members. Correct me if I'm wrong. You started in 2019, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so this is not, hasn't been around that long, uh, but the growth has clearly been incredible. Did you notice like a massive following instantly, or was it like slow growth over time? Or did you have like a certain speaker and all of a sudden the engagement spiked? So we found it in May of 2019. And then I, it was just me at the start. And then slowly people started hopping on, spotting it on LinkedIn and social media and whatnot. I would say from then to about August of last year, it was pretty steady growth. I think the pandemic silver lining was that everyone was home huh. looking to learn from online sources. So we saw a really big spike that summer. We hosted our first like large scale event last year, which is a big conference. Uh, it's four days is insane. And we still have people who stumble across us and join the team. And they're like, that conference was what got me interested. So those are the big spikes, I would say. I want to like have you paint this picture of, of the growth. You started alone. You didn't start with five to 10 people and then all write blog t- blogs together. So what does that look like when you as an individual start it? What were you focusing on with content creation? And then as you grew, how did you start to discover what to attack next? Like, what did that strategy look like when you were, when you were trying to figure that out? I'll be completely honest. I actually did not intend for this to grow into the organization that it is today. Simply Neuroscience was my one woman blog, and it was just going to be chronicling, you know, study resources that I used when I was in high school, moving into college. And so when we started out, we had very simple blog that was more just personal reflections people I'd met who shared really cool advice. I started out the Humans of Neuroscience series because I thought it'd be really cool to see faces of people in the community and hear from them outside of their, you know, their traditional job roles and their university profiles. So there were, I would say, three or four set things where we want to provide study resources, do a blog, do this series. And then as more people started coming in, so the podcast, for instance, was an idea that a student brought in completely by himself and pitched in the first week was like, let's make this happen. So that was December, 2019. And here we are like 40, 50 or so episodes later, multiple podcast mini series and things like that. The framework was there for expansion and growth, but the main driver was just so many people brought their ideas to the table and it is a true community impact. Like I, there's 25 different initiatives we focus on now and 25 25 in total. Yeah. (laughs) 
I definitely do not have in mind that many starting out. That was all the students along the way too. As you're making curriculum, are you giving this, this curriculum to teachers by any chance? Were teachers using this in the classroom? That's actually our very next big step. The coolest thing right now is that we, for the past few months, ran those workshop series for middle school students, especially. And it was amazing. They had a great time. So now we're in the stage of let's collect feedback and get more teachers looped in. But along the way, what was unintended but super cool was a lot of college advising counselors and even like college advisors have been sending their students over to work with us. They just found out and we're like, check this out, which is amazing. It's just word of mouth. So you have 300 plus volunteers, which by the way, that's that's an incredible community of volunteers. Like I've talked to some other organizations and, you know, 20 to 30 volunteers is probably the highest that we've had. I mean, that's still a lot. That's commendable for those organizations, but right. 300 plus is, is pretty incredible. And then, like we said, 25 plus initiatives. How are you funding all of this stuff? Because we're mostly student focused, that's the pretty interesting part in that we don't really see as many donations necessarily from students because, of course, everyone has a small budget, right? But I would say our student-focused fundraising would be more merch. So we recently had like t-shirts on sale. So people could wrap it's just, you know, general neuro logos and things like that. You like a tagline um, on your merch? <laughs> I think there's a few that are like the brain team, uh. the, neuron, the neuron one, pursuing the brain, unlocking the future, one neuron at a time. Love it. <laughs> so do you have any sponsors? We do. We have some organizations who sponsor us on a yearly basis. I would say we're pretty small scale for a lot of our funds, though. It's mostly just logistical costs like Zoom video conferencing hosting, right? And website costs and things like that. Any funds that we received, we actually got a grant from the Dana Foundation recently to host events online. So all those go back into the events logistics if we need to do honorariums for speakers, for instance, things like that. So we're really just as much of Let's keep our budget going, funnel, you know, money into prizes for competitions if we host them. Like this summer, we have prizes coming for students. So it does go back into the efforts a lot of times. When people build, you know, a startup, whether it's a nonprofit or for-profit or whatever, they're building an organization, let's say you're for-profit and people are going to get salaries. You're still either getting a really low salary or none in the beginning. Obviously with volunteers, you're not paying them, hence they're volunteers. How do you keep them not from getting burned out? Or how do you make sure that they feel as an individual that they're getting value or something out of their work? That's a great question. Sometimes I think, you know, cold contacting or like, my gosh, I'm going to edit this document for the third time. It can seem all like this dirty work behind the scenes that no one really cares about. It's not adding value. We try to really balance that out by involving all the students in like the actual growth of the organization. Because I can say for one thing that I didn't really have much experience with nonprofits when I was building Simply Neuroscience. And so we have monthly meetings as a leadership team, but everyone is invited. You can see like, how do we handle partnerships? How do we handle like, what is this grant money going towards? How are we reaching out to sponsors? Logistics of the events, what are we doing? So trying to, you know, match these kind of behind the scenes skills with here's how like, you know, we're not the professional scale of a million members, right? But how does like a, a nonprofit taking off really build behind the scenes? getting people those professional development opportunities. We host workshops and really want to put students at the forefront of that. So I would say overall, like everyone is, there's leadership structures, but we also do try to emphasize that group leadership, like people who want to take initiative, propose ideas, enhance things, uh, work on a collaboration themselves with another organization. We really want to put students at the front of that. 
So how did you fall in love with all this stuff? What is your background and how did you decide to continue growing this into what it is? I really love biology. I don't really remember a day that I didn't love science when I was a kid. I don't know, you know, when I even started. So I had this really silly encounter at a science fair where I found this brain model, you know, the ones where you can like take them apart and play around with anatomy huh? ones. So I was playing around with that and I was like 12, 13, had an epiphany that there was so much in this little squishy brain. <laughs> and then I thought, this is really cool. It's like, there's a lot of ana- anatomy here. And that kind of sparked my interest. I actually started out a little bit from the psychology end. My first depression research project was coding and psychology and database analysis. And then I slowly started getting into more of neurodegeneration. I think as, because I was also growing older, I I guess I'm not that old, but <laughs> as I was kind of growing in school and, and the years past, seeing like lived experiences too, seeing friends and family who had or knew individuals with Alzheimer's, trying to see how I could translate that, connect that with my own research interests and all this jumble together of like research and outreach and how do we tell people in the community about how cool neuroscience is, all of that kind of culminated in a really happy way with this organization. So. I really see it as like a, there's a, there's a lot of things going on. It's super complicated, but the, at the end of the day, it all fits together under one common umbrella. And I feel like that kind of sums up my brain journey too. <laughs> so you obviously have a deep passion for this type of stuff. So what do you get out of what you're doing now? I mean, is it really, is it around fulfillment or do you see like some other professional reasons that this is helping you out or, or what? Yeah. What do you get out of I would say just on a professional level, I think just being able to explore so much, like through all these different, you know, programming and events and resources like that, like we're not just putting them on for other students, like we're also attending them and learning about them. Like I keep mentioning the history of neuroscience lecture, but I had such a blast, like one and a half hour, I was glued to my screen. It was amazing. (laughs) So like, I feel like I'm learning so much too, just through the things that we're putting on for the broader community. I felt a lot more open and like, like I could do this to go outside, like just exploring just STEM within the Columbia community. Personally, I always was like, I wonder what it's going to be like to like be both a humanities and a sciences student. But I felt a lot more open in doing that and prepared to do that. I would say through organization experiences. At the end of the day, I would just say it is so much about fulfillment too. I mean, there's so many people I've met from like, you know, on the other side of the country in India and the UK and South Africa, Nigeria, so many different places that I don't think I would have met before, right? Like there's zero chance that we could have met in person, obviously. So these are folks who like, I'm really looking forward to maybe collaborating with in the future on like a research academic level too, beyond outreach and like two, you know, 20 years or so, who knows? And I think it's really neat to just showcase a movement that's built on youth because I think the next phase of academia is like, lowering the entry level, right? And acknowledging that there's so many young scientists out there who are kind of underrated and undervalued. So it's it's really neat to kind of connect with those professional organizations and really help that pipeline build more strongly. It, it's really nice to be part of a movement that's like just beyond one person and just my individual brain journey, but we can all like grow together as a community. So I think it's just an honor at the end of the day to be able to be a part of it and lead it. So that's what, that's what helps me, you know, go to sleep very fulfilled each night. As you connect with people from around the world, I was wondering, like, have you had any interesting insights as to how neuroscience is taught at different places around the world? It's so different. Yeah. And my family's from India. So like even personal experiences, seeing cousins back home and friends, I would say 
a lot of people go into the neuro streams from like biology or biotechnology routes more. And it isn't as common until you're in college or beyond, especially I would say when you're in graduate studies, it's becoming a lot more, um, there's a lot more institutional support when you get to graduate studies, even majoring in psychology at the undergrad level. A lot of colleges still don't have that on like the local level. So there's like, I guess for a lot of students, the burden is on them to find a path for themselves through existing, you know, biology departments and whatnot, compared to, I would say, a lot of North American and European institutions. It's like, it's, it's kind of, there's just one route to go. It's, I wouldn't say it's like absolutely clear cut, but it's a lot more straightforward, I would say. So the whole emphasis on like, you need to seek out academic support and resources, and you need to do all the exploration yourself. I'd say like the sense of responsibility and support you receive along the way is really different around the world. That's such an interesting perspective that you have, because it's one thing to have like a massive community in the US, but when we're talking 119, 120 plus countries, like that's a really, really cool perspective that you're able to gain. Right. Yeah. And I definitely like, there's still a long way, I think for me to learn personally too. Like I still have to challenge so many US biases and be like, (laughs) this is not, you know, this is not a standard for everyone everywhere. So it's, it's really neat in terms of like seeing this, like, you know, the US Columbia academic life, but also acknowledging like there's such a wide spectrum for you know friends and students from across the world so so do you consider yourself obviously you're a researcher right obviously you're a student would you consider yourself like an entrepreneur or a founder a founder yes yeah. i struggle with identifying myself as an entrepreneur because i i think nonprofit organizations in this community impact i don't really associate myself as like innovating something but more of like trying to change existing structures and make them more accommodating So it's not like I'm, you know, setting forward an entirely new idea into the world, like it's outreach. So I find myself arguing with myself a lot of times on like, am I an entrepreneur? Am I really not? Like, yeah, I founded this initiative, but I don't know if my being a founder role is the same as someone who's a startup founder, right? So it's really interesting that kind of, it's like a spectrum, I would say. Did you always have a passion for leading and creating groups or, or this just really came out of the blue? I would say on the smaller scale, just within my community, but I never expected on the international level. This was a really big shift, but I'm glad it happened. Like, I I think I've grown so much personally. Like, I definitely was a different, I have different researcher, academic, and student two years ago than I am now, so. Well, I saw, like, you banged out, like, three TEDx talks within (laughs) a few, several months. Yeah, last fall was pretty crazy. (laughs) What? I just did one. I just finished a TEDx talk on Gen Z and social entrepreneurship. I mean, that was, that was tough. Like I I couldn't have done three. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was wild, but it was really neat. Two of them were slightly related, related to neuroscience. One of them was actually focused on like why we need to think about neuroscience as being multidisciplinary. And I made this whole big analogy about how neuroscience is kind of like a game of monopoly, not in the capitalistic sense, but (laughs) just as an analogy for how many different avenues there are and emphasizing collaboration. And the second was on more like accessibility, addressing like what are barriers, where do we need to take like the movement to increase student impact in neuro. And then the last but not least, that was focused on um, more like the healthcare learning journey. Cause I think at the undergrad level, as someone who maybe is hopefully gonna go into healthcare in some way, shape or form, seeing that we don't really emphasize reflection in the curriculum. And we kind of just expect students to get all this experience and figure it out along the way. And then, you know, go to med school or PA school, nursing school, and then 
become these amazing providers? Like, how do we really think about disability and illness and mortality? Like, when we're in the clinical setting and we see someone who we've spoken with, like I've I have, you know, elderly friends who lived in the Alzheimer's Center where I volunteered and I knew them for, you know, a couple of years and they passed away and I didn't really know what to do, right? You know, these are my friends. So I think those kinds of experiences and those spaces need to be built a lot more uh, freely for undergrads, not just starting from the graduate level and beyond. So that was really what I was trying to hit on in that talk. Like, come on, let's, let's really emphasize and put reflection in the mainstream for undergrads. So do you see this advocacy work as part of your future, like forever? Are you, where do you, where do you see your, yourself going? Oh, absolutely. I don't really know if I'm going to be <laughs> one of those like social media stars, social media <laughs> science stars. Um, You're already a tech I, star. I mean, you're going to be a TED star. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but I definitely think like having these kinds of conversations with students where it isn't just like, I'm this scary academic and I'm just going to present about my work to you for two hours and you're going to listen to me. But like, I want to listen to you is kind of the the scientist I want to be when I'm older and really definitely emphasizing this, like, let's highlight the young voices. It'll be interesting at that point if I'm like in my forties and like trying to, you know, advocate for more of those, you know, 15, 20 year olds. Um, I don't know what the future is going to look like in like two, three decades, (laughs) but Oh, I definitely want to be part of advocacy and science communication forever, ever and ever and ever. Well, yeah, we can't lose you. We need you to keep doing it. (laughs) I want to wrap up with one more question. Thank you so much. This has been like a great conversation. And that question is, how can our community and listeners and audience, uh, how can they contribute to what you're doing? Um, Obviously, like, you know, donations, they can sign up to be volunteers, they can join the community, but any other types of ways that they can get involved? I really appreciate just amplifying. I think the biggest challenge we see is that, you know, we have all these resources, right? But there are students from across the world who don't know these exist if you've never been pointed to it before. So we really just appreciate, you know, spreading the word with your network. If someone says, you know, I'm really interested in learning about the brain, if we could be, you know, one of the resources that you suggest, we need, we know, you know, we're obviously not like the end all be all, like, sure, we are a really great starting point, but we really do want to just open up the doors to a lot more organizations and resources uh, when students come and chat with us. So I think there's amplifying and keeping like a little note in the back of your mind, like this is one resource I can share with my friends and family. That would just mean the world to us. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I thought this was a super insightful conversation, learning about like the bridge between the gap of STEM and humanities with the brain, hearing your perspective with working with an international community, um, hearing your story about starting this from a single person and making your own personal blog into this massive community in less than two years. What a story. So I'm, I'm just grateful that we were able to have you. And, and I know you feel honored to lead your organization. We're honored to have had you and hear what your story. So thanks for taking the time to join us. And we are very much excited to, to seeing how this grows. Thanks and so seeing much. you on a big TED stage. <laughs> Thank you. Um, thanks so much for the good wishes. Cool, cool. And then everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. We will catch y'all next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank y'all.